for preparing our hearts and reading God's Word. Uh, it's been a pleasure and also um, a humbling opportunity for me to be in front of you guys and lead you through this series in Philippians. It's been a long time, okay, but we are finally at the end part of it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> As you turn your Bibles there, uh, we are going to focus primarily on chapter 4 today, but I know that it's been a while since we last talked about Philippians, so we're going to do a, sort of a little recap to kind of get us caught, uh, caught up to where we are today. Feel free to also uh, make notes and add things. I will make some references to verses as well that you can take home and read on your own as you do your own study of the Scriptures. Uh, but let's begin as we uh, focus in God's Word. <clears throat> let's begin with a quick word of prayer. Lord, help me, your servant today, to bring the Word clearly with conviction and truth so it can guide our everyday life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, how many of you guys... Um, you know, this, this is a song that I heard a long time ago when I was young, but how many of you are familiar with the song Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin? I figured we had some in the audience that probably were aware of it. It was one of my favorite songs when, when, you, know, when you had those tough days and you just needed a, sort of a nice tune, put it on the radio or on a cassette tape or CD, right? And... Uh, you know, most of us are probably familiar with the lyrics and its catchy tunes, but I wanted to read just a small portion of, of, the, of the lyrics just to kind of get, get us started for today. And here's how it goes. Here's a little song I wrote. Okay, I'm not going to be able to do the accent well, okay, so I'll, you can imagine that, okay, in your own mind. You might want to sing it note for note, and I'm sure some of us in the audience have probably done that, right, time and time again? Don't worry, be happy. In every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. And the chorus is a repetition of the, the same phrase, don't worry, be happy, over and over again. And as you hear, as you listen to the song, it addresses everyday worries that we have and concerns. Not having a place to sleep, not being able to pay rent on time. Not having money or style for some of us, or even a person to love. Now, let's be honest, it's hard to be happy <clears throat> and to put a smile on your face in our world today, isn't it? Sometimes our trials and life's difficulties just make it impossible. It's hard to be happy when a loved one passes away. Or when one loses a job or a family is broken. Or worse, when one is diagnosed with a terminal illness and there's no cure for it. How about the innocent lives that are lost? We experienced that recently, if you have been watching the news. See, we are daily reminded that we live in a fallen world filled with worries. And the world tells us on occasion to just find some other means to be happy. 
They might provide some wisdom to tell us how to seek different means to get rid of these worry or anxieties, some of which help, but some are very destructive. So who should we listen to? See, Paul in the letter to the Philippians has been addressing this very issue, right? He doesn't tell the believers just, hey, be happy. Okay, you're going through a difficult time? Just be happy. The Bible never says be happy, right? But it says something else. It says rejoice in who? In the Lord. See, there is the key. Rejoice in the Lord. Time and time again, Paul will mention that throughout the letter. And notice that the source of our joy is not our circumstances, is the person of Christ. As believers, we can't be happy in every sad circumstance, but we can find joy and peace knowing that God is on our side, that he will be there to help us, to get us through it, and that we can trust in him. See, this idea has been at the very core of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. This letter, as you guys know, was a personal letter, was a love letter, some say, but also a very practical letter to showing the, the Christians in Philippi how to live their Christian life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In chapter 1, to catch us up a little bit, Paul is thanking and praying for the church because of their financial support and their partnership in the ministry of the gospel. The ministry, Paul says, has been very fruitful. Even though he's been in prison, okay, the ministry is growing. The gospel is spreading out, even outside of, his, outside of the walls of his prison. He rejoices, still knowing that Christ is proclaimed. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. See, Paul desired for the believers to continue to grow in the Lord and to experience the joy that comes from within, the joy and the faith that we have as believers. It reminds them that living the Christian life means suffering for Christ's sake. Thus, he challenges them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And notice what he tells them. He says, stand firm. We're going to come up to this again as we read chapter 4. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, we talked about how Paul continued his theme of joy. And he told the Philippians, saying, make my joy complete by being united in love, united in spirit, and united in purpose. He tells them that they need to live a life of humility, and Paul gives them the best and the perfect example, that of Christ, whom they are to follow. See, being humble means that we are to put others' interests before our own. And Paul knew there was something going on in the church. Maybe he got a report from the leader of the church, and he knew that there was some opposition, there was some dissension, there was some issues that needed to be addressed in this area of unity. So he said, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
And he urges them to rejoice as he has rejoiced even in his suffering while he's serving the Lord over all these years. And he's not only served the Lord, he's also served the church at Philippi, being one of many. In chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, he writes, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, he says, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. In the second part of chapter 2, Paul uh, sends Timothy. He wants to send Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are leaders, who have been faithful servants, to be an encouragement to the believers and go back and ease their worries, ease their anxieties. Remember, they were not sure what was going on with Paul. They had not heard from him in a while. Okay, they had heard from their leader, their pastor. So Paul says, I'm going to send these two men back to you so that you can ease your anxieties and not worry about them. In chapter 3, Paul continues on this theme of rejoicing in the Lord, and he gives warning regarding the false teachers who were leading members of the church astray by preaching a different gospel. This gospel, which we learned, was one based on works and confidence in the flesh. And Paul tells the believers in Philippi, listen, if that was the case, I'd be the first candidate. I'd be the best of them all. But I've gotten rid of all those accomplishments so that I can point people to Christ. He writes this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Later on, he told the believers that they need to press on just like he was pressing on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul understood that in this process of attaining eternal life and obtaining perfection, okay, what we call sanctification, that this was ongoing for him, that every day he had to face this challenge of focusing and pressing on and staying hopeful and being joyful because of what was to come. He knew that his citizenship was in heaven and was eagerly waiting the return of Christ Jesus. For that very reason, he told people, rejoice in the Lord. So this brings us now to chapter 4. And here's how Paul begins this last part of the letter. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Notice the love, notice the, notice the, the relationship, the tight relationship that Paul had with his church. Calling them beloved brethren, my beloved. He's longing to see them. He's been in prison, and he's hoping that he will get out one day and be able to go visit them. He calls them my joy. Have you ever heard that expression? You're my joy. But he also calls them my crown. It's very interesting now to understand why he would use these words. Okay? But the first verse of this, of this chapter begins with the word, therefore, right? See, Paul has already talked about 
and he has mentioned some of the challenges and the difficulties he's gone through, but he's also provided, he has provided hope for the believers. Now he says, therefore. Okay, remember when you see a therefore, you have to go back in the context in the passage of Scripture and see what the author was saying prior. So in actuality, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, it actually is the conclusion of chapter 3. Remember, back in the day, you know, the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. So when it was separated in, in this way, okay, it kind of helps us to kind of navigate through beginning and transitions and endings. But this is actually the end of chapter 3. It says, therefore... See, after having described in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 21, that the believers should press on, not look back, how they should follow the example of Christ and the example of mature Christians, okay, being ready for that one day when we will receive glorified bodies. Now, Paul says, therefore, because of all these things that I've just mentioned to you prior, what should you do? Stand firm in the Lord. See, in this uh, chapter, Paul is going to provide some encouragements on how to live the Christian life, and that's what we're going to do today. As we look at the believers of Philippi, Paul looks at them as is the fruit of his labor. He's been working really hard for them, right? He's ministered to them, and he calls them my crown. An imagery here that, that he used, for those of us that are familiar, in ancient Greece, okay, if, if Olympians, okay, athletes would compete in a race, by winning that race, they would receive a reward, and that reward was a crown or a wreath. And here, Paul is saying to the believers at Philippi, you guys are my joy. You are my pride. You are my crown. Can I ask you a question? Who would you say is your crown of glory? Who's your crown of victory? As believers, here we see Paul saying, you guys are believers. Because I've invested and I've put my life efforts into you becoming the church that you are. And now I can go to the Lord and say, this is what I have to offer, Lord. This is my work, my service to you. Again, I go back to that question, who would you say is your crown of victory? According to Robert P. Leitner, this word crown in the Greek is the word stephanos referring to the Greek games where the runner would win a wreath or a word as a victory. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul urges his very, he uses his very same image to describe the believers in Thessalonica. Here's what he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 18 through 20. He says, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Verse 19, he says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, referring to the believers in Thessalonica, 
in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. For you, verse 20, for you are our glory and our joy. What would Poolsville Baptist Church say is our crown of glory? The work, the ministry, the, uh, the sacrifice that we're doing for the kingdom of God. Parents, I hope that your crown of glory is your children, is your family. Because they're the ones you're leading to the Lord. For some of us, maybe a coworker or a family member that we've led to the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. We've got a lot of work to do. See, Leitner writes later on, he says, that these saints in Philippi were to, to their spiritual father what victory reads were to the runners in the Greek races. Notice the implication here. It is not wealth. It's not gold. It's not money. It's not medals. It's not materialistic things. It's not status or fame that bring hope, glory, and joy in the lives of Christians. It is the people of God. It is the church of God. It's the family of God. It's not the Super Bowl ring or the trophy that many idolize. For Paul, it wasn't the worldly things, but it was people. See, when we go to heaven, we're not going to have any of that with us. But we're going to have the people that we shared the gospel with and say, I led you, I brought you to the Lord. Or God used me to bring you to his family. A long time ago, um, I got a call from a friend in Albania. We were classmates when we were in one of the cities there in Lore. And I don't remember, I was fairly young as a believer, but years later she calls me and says, you are the reason that I got involved in ministry. And I had no idea. They decided to join with Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ, for those of you that are familiar with that nonprofit organization. I didn't know. But that was the reason, okay, she called me and said, hey, because of you, I'm involved in ministry right now. I'm serving the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not the one that gets the glory. I don't remember what I've said. I might have shared the gospel, but it is the work of the Lord, okay, that brings people to himself. And I want to challenge you guys today to think about that. So this brings us to these encouragements that Paul is going to share in chapter 4, okay? So this brings us to our first point, okay, on how we find joy in Christian living. First, by standing firm in the Lord. Write that down, by standing firm in the Lord. Verse 1, he says, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Right? Paul did not want the Philippians to fall away from the faith. All that hard work that he had done, all the time and the energy that he has spent, he didn't want that to go to vain or waste. So he challenged them, stay firm in the Lord. And throughout the letters of Paul, whether it's in Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians, or even to the, Thessalon uh, the, the Thessalonians that we just read, there's this repeated theme of standing firm. But how can we stay firm in the Lord? 
Well, Paul has already given us some of the answers. In, in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together, working together for the faith of the gospel. Also, Paul uh, refers to what he had just previously mentioned. We stand firm in the Lord by being uh, focused on what's to come, having that heavenly-minded perspective in life, looking at that, hey, we are going to receive a reward that is eternal. See, in Scripture, this standing firm phrase is in reference to being in the faith and not falling away, not being led astray by false teaching, which the Philippians were experiencing. We see this big, big picture of this standing firm best illustrated in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says what? Put on the full armor of God. Not part of the armor, not just the one that's convenient for you for the day. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. See, stand firm means we are staying true to the Lord. Thus, we must resist the negative influences of the world. We need to resist the false teachings and being willing to suffer for Christ's sake. We are in a spiritual battle, and we need God's, God's strength. We need his armor to fight this battle. We can also stay true and stand firm in the Lord because of his promises and the help that the Holy Spirit provides when we face opposition. Paul's goal for the Philippians was that they stay strong and that they continue to grow in the Lord, even during difficult times. We must stand firm in his strength, brothers and sisters, in his grace, not ours. He's the one that has the ultimate power. Our second encouragement comes in the next few verses. This leads us to our second point on the outline. How do we experience joy and find joy in Christian living? By living in harmony with believers. But notice, living in harmony in believers requires that there's someone who's part of this harmony. He doesn't say live in harmony like the world lives. He says live in harmony in the Lord. Okay, let's read verses 2 to 5 real quick. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony. What's the next part? In the Lord. Indeed, true companion, he says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So starting in verse 2, Paul urges the church to be unified. There were some relational problems that existed in the church, 
We are not told of what the problem was, but throughout the letter you kind of can get the hint that there was division. There was dissension among these two individuals. And now Paul, he uses their name not necessarily to embarrass them, but to address the issue at hand. Paul actually had a very high view of these two ladies. They were faithful servants, just like the passage said. They shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. They were faithful servants to the Lord. But however, they had a disagreement with one another. And this was affecting the unity of the body. Paul is not trying to embarrass them. He just basically urges them, live in harmony with each other. Agree in the Lord. You may not be able to agree with people. You may have your own personal preferences or opinions. But he says, agree in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. It is only Christ and the Holy Spirit that can bring unity and harmony among two parties that are odds with each other. See, Paul desires as well, Paul, Paul's desire as well as ours should be that we are a unified church, uni, a unified body. We know that the church is not perfect, right? Because it's made up of imperfect people. But if we allow our pride to get put on the side and be humble and be able to reconcile with others, then we will experience true harmony in the Lord. No problems and tensions exist. We're not immune to that, right? The church can be, dis they, they, can, they can disagree on the carpet color, right, or the pews. But I don't think that was the case here with these two ladies. Paul says, we must seek to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, notice it's interesting that when you go and find out the meanings of these two names, Euodia and Syntyche, okay? Euodia means a sweet fragrance, a sweet fragrance. And Syntyche means a pleasant acquaintance. See, these two ladies were not living up to their name. They were not being gentle with one another. They were contentious rather than content. Paul wants them to fix it. But he knows that they cannot fix the problem on their own. Paul involves other people, as we read in the passage. He says, true companion, which could be the leader of the church or a yoke fellow. Okay, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle together with Clement and also with the rest of my fellow workers. Come together around this issue and resolve it. Friends, for true agreement to take place in any situation, both parties must accept the lordship and the authority of Christ. For peace, we must submit to the Holy Spirit as He corrects our behavior. Only then can we truly be of one mind and united with each other? So my question to you today is, do you need to be reconciled to someone? If you're facing a conflict you can't resolve on your own, don't let the, the tension build up 
to the point of hindering the ministry of the gospel in your own life, but also in this church. Don't stand idly by and wait for the dispute to just resolve itself. Instead, seek the help of trusted people in your life, trusted leaders, mature believers who can be the peacemakers in this conflict. That's what Paul desired for these two women. In verse 3, Paul encourages others to come alongside. So, brothers and sisters, we need to come alongside when we see dissension and disunity. We should desire to be reconciled because we're part of the same family. We are part of God's family. Verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, it's interesting that Paul, a prisoner, is the one telling the church to rejoice multiple times as he writes the letter. His attitude teaches us an important lesson. And this is the lesson that he teaches us, that our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Paul was full of joy because he knew that whatever happened to him, the Lord was with him. You know, it's easy to get discouraged when we face unpleasant circumstances, even opposition in the church. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. Remember that our joy is ultimately based on our salvation and our relationship with Jesus. He who lives in us will fulfill his purpose for us. So we need to show a gentle spirit. And know that gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. So if we're struggling with that fruit, maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us grow in that fruit. Do you have a gentle spirit? Paul says this regarding that. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Everybody needs to know. Why? Because the Lord is near. Let's ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit to continue to produce a fruit of gentleness and unity and peace in our personal lives and in our relationship with others. This brings us to the next point. How do we find joy in Christian living? By praying instead of being anxious. He says, be anxious for nothing, in verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is a command. To be anxious means that we are not trusting the Lord that we show lack of faith. And Paul says, I urge you, be, okay, don't be anxious, but be in prayer. God is in complete control, and he will take care of us. And he knows our needs, but we must have a communion with him. We must have this prayer relationship with him. We are not to worry because Jesus reminds us 
that he will take care of us. He even gives us the cure to anxiety and to worry in Matthew chapter 6. Somewhere on the mountain, Jesus tells us, you know, don't worry for anything. Don't worry what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. For the Lord God knows the things that you need. In faith, we must trust that God will provide our needs. And notice the four different parts of the prayer, okay? You can just, just sort of uh, underline or highlight the four, the four parts. Prayer, it describes a believer's approach to God. So we come to prayer. That's our approach to God. Secondly, our petition, it emphasizes the request that we're making for a specific need. Thirdly, thanksgiving is the attitude that we're showing, okay, the attitude of one's heart that accompanies the, the prayer. And fourth, the request that we're asking for specific things. When we do this and when we ask the Lord, He will give us peace. We get to experience his peace because Jesus is our peace. And that peace, Paul here says, that peace surpasses all comprehension. And the peace of God also will guard your heart and your mind. Think of, a, think of this image, okay, uh, of a fort. Okay, forts and castles were built to protect the people inside. And he says, your heart and your mind, okay, is being protected and guarded by the peace of God. So you don't have to worry about anything. But by prayer, go to the Lord. It's the peace of God, of God that guards our hearts, guards our minds, which affects our thinking and our attitude. Peace is also a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? So we must ask God to give us his peace so that we don't have to worry and be anxious for anything. This brings us to the fourth point, the fourth encouragement that Paul mentions in this passage. The fourth point is uh, how do we find joy in our Christian living by focusing our mind on godly virtues and living in obedience. Notice what he says in verse 8 through 9. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute or good reputation, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about these things. These are things that we need to be thinking about constantly. Have you ever heard the phrase garbage in, garbage out? See, what we put in our mind determines what comes out in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes. And Paul says, allow the peace of God to guard your mind, to guard your heart. So that you are focusing on things that are of God. Now whatever, that includes a lot of things within that whatever, right? So whatever is pure, 
That's a lot of things that are pure that we need to focus on. Whatever is right, whatever is lovely, praiseworthy, these are virtues, godly virtues, that we need to focus and think about. But it takes intentionality. It takes us practicing it. It takes us also being obedient. Notice the second part. You know, a lot of times people forget the second part of this, of this uh, chapter, nine, uh, excuse me, chapter uh, 4, verse 9. Notice what Paul says. The things that you have heard or the things that you have learned, the things that you have received, the things that you have seen in me, what are all those things? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable. Paul is saying, listen, you have seen me in action. You've seen my good reputation. You've seen my godly character. You've learned everything. Now, this is the command or the encouragement. He says, practice these things. Put to practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When we focus on godly things, the God of peace is not just only with us, but also we get to experience Him in us. Because that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's coming from within. This brings us to our final point. How do we find joy in Christian living? By being content in every circumstance. In the second part of this final part of the letter, now Paul wraps up the letter and, and thanks the believers. He thanks the church for their gifts, for their financial support, for their partnership in the ministry. And notice verse 10. Again, this word rejoicing just keeps coming back up again. Paul says, but I rejoiced in who? In the Lord greatly. And now at last you have, re you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11, Paul says, now, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in every whatever circumstance that I'm in. Have you found the secret to being content in your life? Paul did. He tells us, I know how to get along with humble beings, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. And then verse 13, the one Christian verse that everybody takes out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can win the Super Bowl because the Lord gives me strength. I can jump off a cliff because he gives me strength. That's not what he's talking about. This is the one verse that people take out of context and just generalize it. Make it universal for every situation in life. But when we read the passage, Paul is talking about needs. He's talking about being poor and being rich, being in need and having an abundance. 
See, he's learned to be content with little and more at the same time. Why? Because his peace, his strength comes from the Lord. And as he wraps up the letter, Paul tells them, just like I've learned to be content and find joy in my circumstances, I want you guys to do the same. And Paul, as he thanks them, notice, notice the attitude of Paul. He doesn't thank them because he wants more money back. Okay, there's a lot of good preachers. Okay, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go share, uh, do a sermon, whatnot. Maybe they expect something in return. Right? If you go to all these mega conferences, you know, big mega churches and stuff, you, you got different preachers coming and preaching out. I'm sure they're getting a little, a little gift. Not to say that that's the primary motive. And for Paul, it was not the primary motive. Notice what it says. Not that I seek the gift itself. I really don't need the gift. Whether you give it to me is great. But notice the second part, verse 17. I seek for the profit which increases your account. He says, this gift that you're giving me, yes, it will benefit me. It will benefit the ministry. Not that I need it on one end. Not that I want it from me. If you give it to me freely, I'll take it. But it says, I seek for the profit which will increase your account. In other words, this gift is going to return and be a blessing to you. See, Paul was looking out for the believers at the church as well. He rejoiced greatly. And he challenged the believers to continue to rejoice in the Lord and in him. As a church, we need to support our local missionaries. We need to support our global missionaries. Why? Because that will return and be credited to us down the road. It's going to be a spiritual blessing. It's going to be, as Paul mentions in verse 18, what you have sent, he said, was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable gift, well-pleasing to God. And then he wraps up the letter by saying, and my God, this is the return, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Let me remind you again. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These are not earthly glories. These are not earthly riches. These are spiritual riches that we have because we have a relationship with Christ. And we have access to those riches because of him. Let's pray.